Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Welcome to episode number 30 of the Fiduciary You podcast. My guest today is Marco Ungashik, a longtime good friend of mine, and who's also the CEO of Goldpath Solutions and a founding partner of Two West Advisors, which collectively have over $3 billion in assets under advisement, nearly 400 retirement plan and wealth management clients, and 30 outsourced partner advisors. By applying what the Two West team has learned about helping employers get more from their employee benefit plans, Marco has led Goldpath to become one of the industry's leading partners helping advisors build and grow successful retirement plan practices. Today, Goldpath provides streamlined access to highly competitive 401k programs, along with expert coaching and financial wellness experience for employers. On today's episode, Marco and I cover a lot of ground, including advisor outsourcing, delivering financial wellness, managed accounts, retirement income, collective funds, and how emerging technology is enabling the next generation of retirement advice. And so with that introduction, I hope you enjoy this episode of the Fiduciary You podcast. Marco, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Well, good morning, Josh. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. We have a whole lot of different things to talk about and a lot of different topics. You and I have been friends for a really long time. We met originally being part of a study group at uh, with Dimensional Fund Advisors years ago yeah. and uh, always felt like we were like kindred spirits in terms of idea generation and whatnot. And I've just been really impressed by all the stuff that, that you've been doing with, with your firm, with Goalpath. And uh, I can't wait to kind of unpack some of that and just talk about trends and what's happening in the industry. You so. know, Josh, I gotta I got be honest. I, I've been jealous of you for a long time. You know, we, we're on this, we're on this little study group together and there's Josh over there talking about everything he's doing in the industry. And I'm like, man, I wish I could be that guy. That guy's got it figured out. He's got it going on. So Likewise, my friend, this is going to be a fun time to share and uh, been an admirer and fan of yours for a long time. Well, thank you. Smoke and mirrors, man. You know, I got nothing, nothing up my sleeves. You know, you, you have a really interesting story. I think you built a really successful RIA called Two West Advisors years ago. I think probably going back mm, 15, yeah. 15, so, so 12 years. And then, you know, what grew out of that was was Goalpath Solutions, and you've done some incredibly innovative stuff from that perspective. So let's maybe start and talk a little bit about Two West and and kind of how you got into the RIA and the the four hundred one k space, and and where did things start for you? Oh gosh, well this might take the whole hour, but I'll try to pack it up. You know, pack I'll, it I'll, I'll, I'll I'll crack the whip and get you moving okay. along. All right. So I go back and, and I was a, I was an entrepreneur for, for years from, you know, coming out of school, I was fortunate enough to get in, into a, a startup company, fourth person hired hundred people later, you know, 23 us offices. So it was a sports marketing company, had nothing to do with financial services. And then had some other opportunities with some other startup companies and ran a family business for a couple of years. Uh, unfortunately I had to sell the family business. My dad passed away. So that's why I kind of jumped in and, and ran that business and it was in commercial linen. So the reality is, Josh, I didn't find my way to financial services till later in my career. Mm-hmm. And 
I really didn't even know what financial services was. I, I did that thing that everybody suggested that you do is you go around to five of your closest friends and you say, can you see me in financial services? And by the way, what's financial services? <laughs> and so I had a, a bunch of people and I went to school in Indiana and I leaned into my my friends there and they all said, yeah, you'd be great at it. And what's interesting is the guy that I sold our family business to, when we sold that business, he said, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I don't know. And I probably next asked the, the smartest question I ever asked. I said, why do you ask? He said, well, you'd be great in financial services. I said, well, I don't get that. I don't understand why you're saying that. He goes, Marco, you walked into a family company. You know, yes, you know, it's been in your family for 40 some years, but you understood tax and you understood estate issues and insurance issues and profitability and management. And he goes, that's not normal just to walk into that. And then you package it up and you sold it. And you did that all on your own with a lot of help with some really good advisors and, and, and people committed. But I'm going back a little far on you there, but that, that's really what I got me motivated to get into financial services. I wanted to help small businesses. Uh, my, my family ran a small business for a long time and I wanted to help small business. So when I got into it, I really didn't know where to start. So I got into a, a company that like a lot of people do, you know, it was a general agency, it was a broker dealer. They had an RIA a little bit, a couple of years later, and you just kind of started doing and I wrote my first retirement plan probably about 2004 or five time frame, And I realized quickly, that's what I want to do. I want to really invest in small business. And we kind of did that for a few years. I partnered internally in that company with my, my business partner and co-founder at 2West, Ryan Rink. And we kind of just went about our business and we started gathering clients and trying to do it the right way. Right about the 2008 timeframe, and I know we're going to unpack a little ode to Fielding Miller here in a minute sure. with, with Captrust, so I don't, want to, I don't want to take that away from the conversation, but we then decided at that point we wanted to go really hardcore, deep, deep niche into retirement plan consulting, and that, that's, that was our vision. So we launched 2West in 2010. We were an RIA only, bound by a fiduciary responsibility to do what's in the best interest of our clients. And we just started going and talking to clients. And, and we really did not do wealth, much wealth management, not much private client, very little, if, if any. And we did that for 10, 11, 12, and just kind of, you know, try to get a new business off, off the ground. Right. It's about 15, 16. That's when you and I met, actually. It's about when you and I met. We started doing the dimensional uh, study groups. And we started, uh, we were being asked by dimensional, and I'm sure you were too, to be a speaker at their conferences because they were trying to awaken their community of advisors to retirement plan consulting because the majority of their advisors were boutique advisors on, on the wealth front. So yeah. we went down and I'll never forget it. I was up on stage with my business partner rank and, and we had a, a added a third business partner firm, Cushenberry, our chief investment officer. And we're up on stage and I'm in front of basically the executive team at Dimensional. I mean, you're talking Nobel Prize winners, PhDs, you know, David Booth, David Butler, the core of Dimensional, along with their 80 regional directors. And they're all looking at me and I'm up there t telling them about retirement plans. And it was daunting in, in so many ways. And after that was over, we were asked by uh, David Butler, he came down, shook my hand, said, thanks for coming down. And he looked at me and he goes, are you guys a TAMP? And I, I remember looking at him going, I don't even know what a TAMP is. What do you mean by that? He goes, well, you guys are doing some really cool things at Two West. Have you ever thought about 
using and packaging those things up where another advisor could tap into it. That was the genesis of GoalPass Solutions. So that's how I got there. We spent the last couple of years really investing in the GoalPass Solutions side of the house. But everything is originated, for the most part, at 2 West, which is our local RIA in Kansas City. Right. Right. Yeah. We'll, in just a minute, talk about fielding, because as you yeah. said, we, we, we both have really kind of cool yeah. fielding Miller stories, which I think created kind of the blueprint for Green Spring Advisors back when, when yeah. I was still there, and, and I think for, for 2 West as well. You mentioned you guys are based in Kansas City. And you and I were talking before we started recording, and, and there are so many. There, there was a big, obviously, announcement this week in the industry. Acquisition, merger, kind of spun as more of a merger, but creative planning with Peter Malik as, as CEO there, who's built a like $100 billion just powerhouse private wealth RIA, had done a little bit of 401k, kind of dipped their toe in the water, but that they just uh, announced that they're going to be buying Lockton's 401k practice. And so really creates a powerhouse. I think they're probably the one firm now that, that I think most closely aligns with or, or competitively with cap trust with these really kind of massive scale retirement and wealth practices. But there's a ton of amazing firms in Kansas City. Like it seems to be like a hotbed for RIAs. Why do you think that is? And, and you know, how competitive is it in Kansas City, because there's a ton of really awesome RIAs in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, we're talking about that, and and here's the result of that. The great thing about having a, a, a lot of really good firms that are forward thinking, and in my opinion, doing it the right way as best we can, and we all, you know, have our, our spin on that. Clients win in this town, you know, because right. Because even though that I'm competing against some of my friends and, and competitors and things like that, at the end of the day, we're all telling a really good story. We're just telling it our way. And so I've always looked at it and said, if you were a planned sponsor, a company in Kansas City, you got a really high chance of doing of winning because you're going to get a good advisor. And, and, and you know, and that's not to knock any other city because every city's got good advisors. But you're right. There's a concentration here. Yeah. And Peter, I mean, I could tell stories about Peter just the same as I could tell about Fielding. I love that man. I love Peter. Right. No. The guy's amazing. Like what he built at Creative, like they yeah. started create. He, he bought Creative. I think his background was like, I think he was like an estate planning attorney or he, he did something along those lines. And he wound up buying Creative, launched it around the same time that Pat Collins and I launched Greenspring Advisors. And <laughs> needless to say, Kind of left us in the dust with, uh, yeah. with, with and he, he had some genius strategies. So, well, we all we all have some regrets, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a regret, kind of. And what I mean by that is that go back to 2005, and I wrote a uh, I, I won a piece of business. It was a good plan. I think it was my largest plan at the time. It was a good sized plan, a few million dollars, seven million dollars. I don't know. And I was so thrilled. You know, it was my biggest plan at the time, and I get a phone call and. Uh, you know, I answer it. He says, so who's this? He goes, it's Peter Malouk. Malouk. Okay. So I, yeah. I, I probably should pronounce his name the right way. Yeah, that's all right. He didn't. He didn't. He, I'm sure he's okay. He's not listening to this. No, he's not listening to me. <laughs> and uh, maybe he's listening to you. He's not listening to me. So he goes, you know, do you know why I'm calling you? I said, oh, I know exactly why you call me, Peter. I said, you're that, you're that estate planning guy. You want me to make referrals to you for wills and trusts? And he goes, no. He goes, I've never lost before. I'm like, Excuse me? What do you mean you never lost before? I don't even know what that means. He goes, 
I was on the other side of that. I was the advisor that didn't win the business. And he goes, anybody that's going to beat me, I want to meet. I went, that's flattering. I mean, I have no idea what I'm doing here. You know, I mean, I was just getting started. We go out to lunch. And here's what Peter's gifted at, among many, many other things. Peter moves quickly and he makes really quick, good decisions. And I'm not patting myself on the back here, but Peter offered me a job within 30 minutes of sitting with me. Obviously, I said no, because I, I I didn't even know what I was saying. You're like, I just beat this guy. Like, what do I need? Like, I don't no, know. Him. No, I just kicked his butt. No, it was more ignorance than that, Josh. Don't, don't give me too much credit. I, I wasn't that confident. It was more that I didn't. I was just getting started. Yeah. I mean, why, why would I jump ship? I was just getting going. And, you know, who knew that he was going to be, if you add the, the locked in assets, a $230 billion RIA. I, I didn't know that. And you know what? There's probably 20 people, maybe maybe 50 people in this town that have that story with Peter. Yeah. But I love that man. I think he's doing it the right way. I wish him wish him all the success in the world. And so, yeah. Yeah. But to answer your question on why Kansas City, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because of all those little tentacles that, that started way back when that we were all, most of the firms in this town, are focused on the RIA model. Right. And, and and maybe that's it. Maybe maybe that was it. Maybe it was the independence and the RIA model that was yeah. a pervasive in this town that was kind of promoting a fiduciary best practice. Maybe that was it. Because I, I can't really find the individual. You know, there's no grandfather of the retirement plan consulting in Kansas City. I can't find that individual. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so now, you know, this will be the third episode of the Fiduciary You podcast that is also yeah. video. So I'm holding up. There's this awesome book by a guy named Matt Ridley um, called Innovation Works and Why It Flourishes in Freedom. I would tell anybody in our industry should read this book. I'm going to put this actually in the show notes. But it's really he writes about the the history of innovation throughout, you know, the eons. And and he he talks about different pockets of innovation. So, you know, the the Ming Dynasty or uh, Renaissance Italy talks about, you know, uh, the printing press, you know, uh, Gutenberg in, you know, in Germany. And deep on me here, Josh. Well, he t- it's really fascinating. But but, and, you know, he talks about Silicon Valley. Right. So there are these times yeah. throughout history where we've seen massive leap, a leap forward in terms of of innovation and how that kind of impacts a society. And his premise is that, you know, it really needs if you look innovation historically has thrived in countries or city states or places where there's freedom right and and but what was interesting was he said that part of how innovation he calls it the you know we we have in and we're going on a tangent here but i'll bring it back in a second but he talks about how you know we we tend to grasp onto this idea of a great man or great woman in history but that that actually isn't how how innovation has worked. That that the way innovation has worked is you've had pockets of people in historically, you know, pre-internet in the same location that have had call it collaboration and co-opetition, right? And and that he that he, he talks about the great man or great woman of history. They're really the one who kind of puts what he calls the last brick in the arch. That it's really about people and companies who kind of come together. They compete with one another, but they share ideas. And you've got the heads of these companies who interact with one another socially and professionally. And it's that coopetition 
that allows innovation to thrive and flourish. And I, I bring that up because what you you what I I kind of heard you say there is, you know, it's just unique. You can't really figure it out, but you had these really, really good firms that all probably started around the same time, pretty similar mindset. And as you said, I would imagine having a lot of really good firms there to learn from one another, to compete with one another, to collaborate, to idea share. It's kind of a rising tide that raises all ships, but there's just something unique. Like nobody would have thought in Kansas City, Missouri, there would have been kind of this hotbed of really successful, large RIAs, but you guys all kind of started around the same time. And it's well, just to be honest, cool. I, that makes sense. I think you're spot on there. I, I never really thought of it that way, you know, because at the end of the day, if we were going to compete and win, and we've had our fair share of wins, and we've had our fair share of losses. I mean, we're, we're, we're you know, $3 billion in assets and, and continuing to grow. So we've we had some success. There's yep. no doubt about it. But the reality is a lot of that was shaped and influenced by when we lost. Because yep. when we lose, we want to know, well, what's going on? Why did they why did they go in that direction? Yep. And if it wasn't just a relationship, sometimes it's just relationships. And we understand that. But sometimes it's somebody that was packaging up something a little bit different. Right. And right. so we were all influenced by it. That's a that's a great point. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. By Kansas City. Yeah. And I think you've seen that just in the retirement industry in general over the past, you know, I'd say five or 10 years, this kind of rise of the specialist. Right. And so yeah. one of the things that kind of in this book as well, kind of what the Internet does is it kind of decentralizes like in the in throughout history. You know, there was no way to communicate like part of the reason that that innovators all kind of came together in the same basic location was because there was no way to share ideas, best practices. There's no way to kind of foster that co-opetition, if you will, yeah. in a distributed fashion. Obviously, yeah. the internet does that. I think that's the rise of specialists in the industry is we're a pretty small, tight-knit community, but there's a very kind of collegial approach that we, I think we all have. We realize yeah. a ton of business that's out there. You don't need to win every single deal, though you'd like to, to, to build a really successful firm and a really successful business. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of collaboration amongst yeah. specialists that helps us all get better. And ultimately when we all get better to your point earlier about people in Kansas city, win probably a lot more than in other cities, because there are so many good firms competing against one another, you know, yeah. when we all get better in the industry. That means we get to impact. A yeah, huge right. And that goes back actually to the cap trust and, and we'll yeah. start talking there. a little bit about the goal path, but you know, I had my own origin story with fielding back in 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 2009. We were pretty small at Greenspring at the time. I think we only maybe had five or six people. And we got on, you know, his radar and Rick Shaw's radar. And fielding was up in, in Baltimore one day and he and I went out to lunch. And, you know, the way the way fielding is with that charming southern drawl that he has. <laughs> you know, Why don't y'all come down to, to Raleigh and come see us? We'd love to host you. And so... You know, my co-founder, Pat Collins, and I, we went down to uh, we went down to Raleigh, uh, I think in 2010, 2011, something like that. And, you know, they spent a day and a half with us. We sat in a conference room. They did a big dog and pony show. They were trying to acquire us, but they were incredibly generous and, and fielding and Rick and that whole team. What I really respected was, you know, they were you could see back then. They were they had the blueprint of building a powerhouse and they had gotten to scale, but they were incredibly generous. Yeah. They didn't hold back. I mean, they showed us 
kind of they opened the kimono and showed us behind the scenes a lot of the things that they they did. And I will say, and I'll always be grateful to Fielding and to Rick because that actually gave Pat and I kind of the vision for Greenspring. And we tried to model a lot of the things we did over the years that I think led to, a, you know, a lot of success we had. Yeah. We really tried to model what cap trust was, albeit on a smaller scale. Yeah, this, totally. You, you know, know, fielding is a kind of a giant in the industry. And I've always, yeah, we, we were all influenced. Yeah. We yeah. were all influenced by, I shouldn't say all, you know, you and I for sure. And, you know, our story, I don't know that I ever heard the detail of that story yeah. to that, to that level. And, and we had an identical experience. We, we read an article, uh, rank, brought me an article in 2008. We kind of unpacked it together and we're like, that's what we want. You know, who's this fielding guy? We didn't even know who fielding was. You know, I don't know how big cap was back then. And so we connected with him at a conference and and he did the same thing. You know, we're up in his suite drinking some Bud Lights at, at the end of the day and and hanging out and just just being real, right? I mean, that was. I don't think Fielding drinks Bud Light anymore, man. I think he, well, I, you know, with how big cap stuff is right now, I think he, uh, I, I, you know, I think he's more of a craft beer guy. Yeah, he might be. He might be. But my point is, my business partner bought Bud Light or drank Bud Light. <laughs> my point is, Fielding stocked his fridge, so Fielding didn't miss anything. Yeah, he didn't miss anything, yeah. and he invested in people, and and that's yeah. been his gift. And you know, I'll give you a couple stories. So. After that, he invited us down. Same thing, you know. Come on down to Raleigh, play, you know, Raleigh, play some golf. Da da da. We didn't. We never got out to golf because it was just too busy. But we we did fly down, and I, I'll never forget. I said, I said, Fielding, I will come down there. I said under one condition: I am not for sale. I, I we want to build this prior to us, you know, launching to West. We were trying to gather the facts and how does all this work? And I said, I, I, please in, invest your wisdom in me. But I am not gonna you know put on the cap trust hat yeah. i'm not gonna do it and it's not i'm not it's not time yet right i, I got i got some exactly. some things i want to do yep and he swore no 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 i promise and and he and he was true to his word and i and i tell you what and i want to share a couple of them because these are you know fielding isms and these little couple little nuggets that shaped our firm and we wrote them down um, my business partner and i literally on the plane ride home wrote these things down because we thought they were great and one he told us to stay independent he said, stay a fiduciary, stay, stay under that RA model. And uh, so we, we were not headed in that direction in the beginning. So we, we were like, okay, we, Fielding said so, so we're going to do it. You know, we, at this point, we weren't questioning. We were just doing what the guy said. And then he said uh, a couple other things, and I, I wrote these things down. One, don't build someone else's lake house. And I was like, okay, that's, that's really deep. What do you mean? And he said, listen, you guys are going to have success. I was like, I don't know how you know that, but okay. He said, make sure in this industry, you're going to have partners, right? You want to have partners, whether it be record keepers, custodians, and TPAs, and fund companies, and consultants, and peers. And he goes, work collaboratively, work together. You know, don't just open your door and, and start representing some product or solution that A, makes you guys a lot of money or makes your, the other company a lot. Don't build their lake house. Work collaboratively together. Make sure you guys are focused on on the same mission. And that is easier said than done. Sure. There's a lot of people knocking on our door trying to get in in the door because we obviously have influence on some some clients' assets. The one that I'm, I'm going to point at right here, which is uh, uh, mind your Coke crates. And again, I'm sitting there going, what, the hell, what, is this, what does this even mean? Mind your Coke crates. And 
what Fielding said, and you can't, you know, I, I, I don't I have, no, I have no clue how to zoom in my camera, but what that picture behind me, and it's a caricature that my mom's second husband drew after telling a little bit about the story. It's Rink over there balancing coat crates. And I'm old enough to, to, to remember this, Josh. You might be, I don't know. But I remember back in the day working. I'm so much younger than you. You are so much younger than me. You are so much younger than me. (laughs) But I was mowing grass for my grandma, and uh, you know the the reward. Yeah, she did pay us, but the reward was she would give us an ice cold bottle of Coke, right? And every time you got done with that bottle of Coke, you put it back in a Coke crate because there was a wooden Coke crate that somebody came and picked up, or she Mm -hmm. took it back to the local grocery, whatever it was. And I and I'll never forget that. And so what he was saying is, mind your Coke crates. Because every time you agree to take on a client, that's going to fill a Coke crate. Mm-hmm. And your Coke crates are your time. Mm-hmm. And so make sure you take on the right type of client. And it wasn't in, it wasn't about size. It never was about size. It was about the mission. Is your client aligned with your mission and vice versa? Are you aligned with their mission? Right. So we were very selective about who we brought on mm-hmm. and it was mind your co-create. So rink was our magnet. He was out there trying to talk to the plant sponsors and I'm wearing a business suit up there. Cause I was the one making it all come together. Right. And that's right. why we were such a great partnership. So yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I I feeling a- is, oh, oh, wait a minute. One last thing about feeling. I, I got, so I get back home to Kansas city. My phone rings at like 6am. I look down feeling it was in July because I remember I'm in my, not my go to work attire at 6 a.m. And I'm sitting on my front step at 6 a.m. It's sweltering hot and I'm talking to Fielding Miller. And he goes, you know, I told you that I wasn't going to recruit you, but I've been, I've been thinking, <laughs> I've been thinking, and I think, I think you'd, you know, fit just hide here in cap trust. And I said, Fielding, let's keep the conversation going, but I've, I've got some, I've got a mission I'm on and I want to, I want to see that out, but you know, let's keep the conversation going. So I've always had a ton of respect for Fielding and Rick and and their whole crew down there. Yeah, I, I, exactly the same way. And and just you know, they've they've uh, you know, I think th- there's a lot of talk going on right now in the industry, right? M and A and acquisition and these large aggregators. And you know, I I, I uh, there was an article that Fred Barstein wrote earlier this week uh, and posted on LinkedIn. He wrote it for Investment News, but it was about the the speaking of Peter Maluk. Yeah. And creative and acquiring locked in and just about that. And, you know, I posted on LinkedIn and I think Fred, I, I generally speaking really agreed with what he, his perspective on yeah. that acquisition. But, you know, I don't agree that there is a lot of the talk in the industry and it kind of turns into an, this industry can be very much like an echo chamber. Um, yeah. But this sure. idea that the only future for everyone is you're going to have to be part of a large aggregator that the large aggregators, they're getting scale. They're going to win. They're going to, you know, they've got all this money backing them up and that, you know, it's kind of this Orwellian, you know, you know, there's only going to be a handful of winners and then everybody else is going to basically be working for the winners. And I just fundamentally totally disagree with that with that mindset because I think the advice industry is always going to be fragmented because at the end of the day it comes down to it's still very much you have to execute I hate when we talk about oh it's all about relationships and trust it is but you still have to execute but it is a very much you know it's it's trust-based and I don't buy the fact that 
Um, and I have a ton of respect for, you know, CapTrust and then what Vince Morris is doing over at One Digital and what Peter's doing at Creative. And you've got, you know, Hub and you've got these aggregators. But I am not of the opinion that every, number one, not every client's going to want to work with a big firm. I think there's a lot of still kind of, you know, mistrust and lack of belief that bigger is necessarily better. Like a lot of times what happens is when you get bigger, you know, you just, you, 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 you're less nimble and you're less kind of, I mean, I mean, Josh, you, you hit it, the nail on the head's right there. I mean, that yeah. you don't even have to go past that. Yeah. Meaning that I, yes, we can go on and on and on about that when you aggregate opportunities and clients and assets and da, 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 of yeah. course you can quote unquote deliver some, some really refined right. um, solutions and services, but you know, it's a capitalistic society. The bigger the company gets, the slower they get. Period. Exactly. Period. And you, know, you can go, you can go down how many different stories of this. They can't pivot. They can't move. And so innovation will never stop. Yep. So while the aggregators in, in today's, if you think about it this way, up until, you know, I'll use the story we've just been talking about. Up until maybe a couple of years ago, there was only one really big aggregator. Yeah. Called Cap Trust. Well, Cap Trust. And now all of a sudden, there's a lot of people heading in that direction because they were nimble and they were quick. And I'm not saying that they've yep. taken advantage of anything Cap Trust wasn't doing. That's not my point. But they were bringing solutions and products and services and missions to the marketplace, and they're and they're growing quickly. Well, eventually. Their model is going to become stale too. Everybody's does. That's the evolution of business. Period. Right. So, right. you know, and I, and I actually think that leads into kind of like where I want to take and start talking about goal path because I think what yeah. you built is kind of unique. You know, my, you know, I started when I started twenty years ago at Morgan Stanley. There were ten plus wirehouse firms, if you will. I think there's three or four now, right? You've got Merrill, you've got Morgan Stanley, you've got UBS, maybe you got somebody else that's in there. But yeah. through M&A and through consolidation, and the reality is, you know, that's happened over the past 15 or 20 years. They don't dominate the advice industry. If anything, the, the, the RIA industry, if you just look at like growth of channel, has dominated over the past 15 to 20 years. And so you really had these wire, a lot of the wirehouse folks were just, if they went to another firm, they were just kind of switching seats and business cards. But you've had this, this huge growth of the fiduciary advice industry. Um, and so I am of the opinion that there's always going to be fragmentation. Um, yeah. You will always, if you can find, I mean, you only need to have, you know, if you can get as an advisor, 25 to 50 good 401k plans, or you can get 50 to let's say 75 or a hundred private yeah. clients, you can build an incredible business. And I actually think over the next five to 10 years on this post, I said, you know, I, I kind of quoted Mark Twain where he said, you know, rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. Like I think rumors of the death of independent RIAs and retirement plan advisors is greatly exaggerated. And in fact, I think there's going to be tremendous, I think the aggregators are going to be successful. They're going to win, but I think it's also going to create opportunity to your point for independent RIAs. Uh, and I think there's tremendous upside for those that remain to be independent, be a little bit smaller, be more nimble and responsive to potential client issues and innovation. And one of the things when I think about Goalpath and what you've built, you know, from that, you know, when Dave Butler was like, hey, if you're thinking about building kind of a TAMP, which got the wheels turning for you to say, hey, we've built a good firm. Could we take kind of the infrastructure, the ideas, the resources we've created that helped to West win? And is there a way that we can kind of package that up 
and deliver that as an infrastructure for other advisors that that don't want to try to build it themselves and that they can leverage. And I think that was really the genesis of Goalpath. And so I actually see you you guys, what you're doing as an enabler for those, especially maybe those independent firms who say, you know what, the private equity path, the acquisition path, the aggregator path isn't for us. We still have some work to do because because what you said, you know, when we fielding doesn't know this, but it was a funny little thing. We were walking through security in Raleigh, Durham to get on the airplane. We had had just a tremendous uh, experience then at CapTrust, but we felt like there was more work to do. And, and as we were going through security, I said to Pat, I'm like, I don't know, man, what do you think? I was like, I'm having a lot of fun. What about you? Like, you think we should think about, you know, folding in? And he had a great quote that became a rallying cry for us. And it was meant with the utmost respect. But he goes, you know, right now, I don't want to be cap trust, but I really want to beat cap trust. And that was kind of the rallying cry for us that really kind of shaped us, again, with the utmost respect. But I think for the firms that want to remain independent, like to do that effectively, you're going to have to offer more services, obviously. You're going to have to leverage technology well. You're going to have to have the right partners, right? And collaborate. Talk a little bit about Goalpath, because I think what you are building is, is a solution, a platform, a company who enables advisors and independent firms to, to do that, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we've never had this conversation about that, that word. And, uh, the reality is I, I classify us as an aggregator because that's how the industry thinks of people right. that are helping other firms. And it's the only way I get invited to conferences, right? You know, I've never, I've yet to hear the enabler com- conference pop right. up. So, you know, yes, we are mo- more of an enabler than we are an aggregator because we don't have an M&A model. And what we're trying to do is be really good uh, stewards of the industry and really good architects. And if we build it at, at basically two West and we, our clients are benefiting from it, then how do we package that up into something else? And another advisor says, well, I don't have the experience. Maybe I don't have the resources. And a lot of times they don't have the time, right? They just, I mean, it's, it, it takes time to, to, to prove these things out and build them. So we started uh, rolling out some, some basics that were all, in our opinion, after the mission of driving better outcomes. And I know that's an overused statement, better outcomes, better outcomes, better outcomes. But what does that really mean? What does a better outcome mean? And how and how were you influenced and how did you shape what you developed to, to deliver that better outcome? And, you know, a lot of our solutions, we, we tried to be very low cost. You know, that's a driver behind us. We didn't, we weren't doing it to be profitable. We were doing it to, to be able to run a company, even though we need to be profitable to continue to, to grow and provide jobs and, 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 and grow the mission, but not overly profitable, if that makes any sense, right? You got some firms out there and no names, certainly, but, you know, you can get me off on that tangent a little bit too, because our industry is wrought with folks that are, quite frankly, making too much money for the work that they're doing. And that's not right. And and if you act in the fiduciary capacity, it, it levels that playing field a little bit. And I learned that a long time ago when I when I was watching my brother-in-law, who is uh, inside an RIA that is one of the, I think, the largest, longest-standing RIA, uh, 1966, it was founded, and he's one of the most brilliant people I've ever been around. But he made a 
good income. Don't get me wrong. But it was, I mean, I, I was watching good salespeople in the same industry making five times what, what he was making. And this is before I really got going in the industry. And I was sitting there going, something's not right here. And, and so that was the fiduciary model, right? If you do things the right way for the right reason, yes, you can be profitable, but it takes longer, you know, because you have to, you know, you have to do it the right way. But back to goal path, you can get me going here, Josh, I can, I can go on tangents on you. I love it. But, you know, what we, what we wanted to build, we wanted to build, you know, something that another advisor could pull off the shelf and make their practice better, could maybe make their practice more profitable and ultimately drive better outcomes for the participants and employees that they, you know, they served. And those took shape in the form of 338 services that we were partnering. In, in some cases, that's a, just a custom bolt-on. In some cases, that was partnering with record keepers and building package solutions that were really low cost, delivering the right message. We're on the, on the front end now. We've been doing managed accounts inside the world of TIA for a long time. And we're kind of taking that model of driving income because we think that is the mission as well, that, that we can we can spend maybe the last 15 minutes or so just talking yeah. about income. But the reality is we've been doing it for a long time and we're trying to figure out how to deliver that income message, that income solution to the individual. That's going to probably be in the form of managed accounts. We've got some really cool things to, we're developing there. We've launched collective funds that are you know taking advantage of all the things that a collective fund can can add value back to both the plan sponsor and the individual packaging them, those up for, for use by other by other advisors. And then the thing that really kind of jumped off the page that we didn't really see coming was financial wellness. And, and what I mean by that is that financial wellness is a topic that so many people, you know, you, you have a whole podcast on it. And, and, and I, I, I borrowed these words from you. And you said, if you ask 10 different people what financial wellness was, you get 10 different answers. Right. And it's so true. What we looked at financial wellness as, how do you help an individual understand their entire situation, whatever the delivery mechanism is, so that they can not just get a, a set up their retirement plan better, but set up their life better from a financial perspective. And we have a very you know, unique opportunity as a, the advisor community to be, to be front center you know, in, in that conversation, helping those individuals. What we realized is that it's not just technology. And so many people um, associated financial wellness with a, with a widget, with an app, with a, with a link. And the uptake of that was, was very minimal. Because you licensed, I think, if, if I remember, I don't want to give away all your secret sauce, but yeah. I think you had partnered maybe with Questus. We did. Questus. From, a, from, a tech, from a tech provider yep. component. Yep. And I, and I don't want to you know, take anything away from Questus because they're doing some great work out there. But the engagement when you rolled out tech only right. was very small and it wasn't enough to make an impact. So we did what we, you know, called a fulfillment. I don't literally love the word, but it resonates with people. You know, we added the personal touch. We put the CFP, we put a live person on the other end of the call that an individual can connect with when they when they need help in a, a person that's bound by a fiduciary standard to do what's in the best interest. We did workshops and webinars and newsletters and targeted communication when, when we felt that somebody needed to hear a message and we dripped on them and we kind of put the, the campaign behind it. Mm. And in all of the cases that we've rolled out, or at least on the average, we've in most cases, 5X the engagement. 
And that's that's the key. So we were taking technology. We didn't. And how would you define how would you define engagement? You know, I see a lot of times you see it on the kind of the record keepers, like you'd be in a meeting and not to knock on the record keepers. But, you know, you get a you know, they show kind of their wellness like statistics and whatnot. We had all this engagement. Well, what is engagement? Well, someone opened the email. Yeah, I'm not really sure that is engagement in uh, the sense of like, are people taking the next best step? Opening an email isn't the same thing as kind of making making progress on what's the next best, you know, planning step I need to follow. Yeah. So how would you define engagement? Yeah. A A few different ways. That's one. I mean, one thing is it just did they pay, even pay attention to something, right? I mean, our, our email open rates over 50%, which is off the charts, right? So that that's great. So awareness, basically, in some awareness. way, awareness. Yeah. Okay. We coined the term, or at least we used the term internally called the power of one. And, and here's what we meant by that, is that when a plant sponsor or another advisor I'm trying to help says, well, what's the engagement? You know, what's the utilization? Yeah. Everybody goes to how many coaching sessions did you hold? as the uh, as the defining is the program working and i said that's just one component okay let's talk about the power of one what if one individual in a company of three four hundred people what if one took some time to get their financial house in order and they turned their life around right and i I don't mean to get kind of sentimental or deep on it but that is massive it's massive for the individual that's also massive to the employee. I mean, you know the statistics. Yeah. Somebody that works past their kind of forecasted retirement age can cost a company as much as 50000 extra dollars a year in inflated salaries, healthcare costs, things like that. So, and, and I think it's going to lead really nicely into our income conversation because everybody benefits if somebody earns the right to retire eh, somewhere in about their mid-60s. That's a really, really good thing. And beforehand, yeah. even good on you. But if we can help one person, one person, then the financial wellness program was worth it. Now, most companies don't look at it that way. They want to help the masses. But I look at it and say, you know, sometimes we may only help just one and it, and it was worth it. Yeah. So engagement is more. It's about the emails. It's about it's about the D's. You know, I call them the D's. The D's are going to hit all of us at some point in life. And the D's are things like disability, death, divorce, disaster, dysfunction. Right. Go down the list of the D's. And what do you have at your fingertips that if you're a modest income earner that doesn't have a lot of investable assets outside the 401k, where can you go to get really good, sound, best interest advice and education on what to do next? Where do you go? Because the advisory firms are run for profit. And most of the re- most of the really really good firms have really high minimums. Don't want to talk to those people. Don't don't want to talk or don't have a not a, just don't want to talk because I think they that don't have a sound. service model an engagement model that essentially matches the scope of services that that population, which is most you know I always call it probably ninety seven percent of American workers don't fall in yep. the target market of the traditional really good RIA. Yep. So we. So so to that point, we had to develop a model that helped the masses, regardless, something that was profitable so we could continue doing it and grow it and hiring our our bank of CFPs. And and one of the ways we did that is we gave a parking spot for people that with small accounts. 
right? If you have a small account and you're retiring and that's your life savings, smaller account, their account, meaning, you know, smaller to the industry, a huge account to them because it's their entire retirement. Right. And they need a $300 paycheck to show up in their, in their bank account once a month. That's incredibly important. That 80,000 walks out on the street and they're, you know, they're fed to the sharks. Right. You know, more than likely they're going to end up in some locked up. Equity index annuity. You know, and, 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 you know, and those things are coming around too. And I think when we get to income, we're going to talk about that, but we just thought it would be a good, a good place for people to have a parking spot. And if that's their only spot for the rest of their life and they're bound by a, you know, surrounded by a fiduciary, that's a good place to be. And the, the, the people that needed advanced planning, we connected back to the advisors that, that were connected. And I think that's the, that's kind of the unique thing with your model is you were essentially allowing these advisory firms that your partners, right, to elevate and deliver wellness through you. And, you know, you would be kind of the tip of the spear, uh, what I would call yeah. kind of like, you know, would be like family physician, general practitioner. Hey, yeah. let's help let's help diagnose, you know, for for the employees in, you know, Mrs. Advisor, the employees in your plan will be kind of like the, the general practitioner. Yeah. We will diagnose if these are basic needs that that don't need a specialist like you. You know, we'll help them kind of point in time if if they're kind of the smaller where there's no way they could kind of fit your target market and your minimums. We've got this fiduciary solution that we can offer. But as the general practitioner, you know, if we diagnose that they have, you know, advanced symptoms, if you will, we're going to refer them back to you because you're really the the expert in the equation that can deliver that. And that's not what you guys are trying to deliver, but you're really trying to kind of like create a bridge back. Is that a fair yeah. way to describe yeah. it? Did, did you just come up with that? I'm going to borrow it. That's really I good. I did come up with that right on the fly right there. Yeah. That's awesome. That's good. No, it, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. You know, we want to be on the front end helping the masses and it, and it meets our mission, right? You know, our mission was never to drive better outcomes for some, it was to drive better outcomes for all. Right. And uh, that was what I, you know, that's why I was attracted to the retirement plan at the beginning. I, I could get up in front of a room and talk to 50 people at once. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't just one-on-one and don't get me wrong. You can only do so much in front of 50 at once. Sure. But I, I loved being able to influence the masses. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's leverage, right? It's, it's what, what, cause I was the same way. I mean, we started Greenspring, we were all private wealth and I, I love that. And, High net worth people need good advice too. But yeah. what really was attractive to me was I thought we gave good advice and this idea, you know, of leverage, you know, Archimedes said that, you know, if you give me a, a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to stand, I can move the world, right? And so if you give really good advice to a committee of three or five people that are representing the interests of 100 or 200 people, well, now you get massive leverage. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about, the, the you know, the 50. Now, you know, it's not the same thing as, you know, what you would do with a private client, kind of high net worth really involved. But in many cases, they may not need, they may not need that same scope of services from, you know, to, to that extent. So, yeah. and, and again, going back, like your mission of really trying to be a partner to advisors, not a, you know, not a competitor, not a threat, yeah. but really kind of a partner. And at the end of the day, architect of let's make sure that everybody has 
you know, access to the resources they need. I think, you know, a lot of advisors listen to this podcast. And one of the things I would say based on what I think the wisdom of Marco is that don't sell wellness around utilization, because the reality is, if you look at the statistics, utilization is low. And if you're selling utilization, you're going to be misaligned with your clients. I think in the way we did it at Greenspring and kind of, you know, I used to hammer into everybody is like, we're not selling utilization, we're selling access. Because when, when, you know, somebody needs our support, right, utilized 100% of the time. Yeah. So that's really, but it's about providing, you know, access and awareness. You can't force people to engage until they're ready to engage, but you need to be able to provide the access and drive the awareness that, hey, if you have a need, here's where you can go to for it. And and, and that's, uh, you can only deliver that service and scale to be, to make it work, meaning to make it profitable enough to be able to hire the right people because, and most advisory firms can't, can't do that. I mean, they, if you're going to take on something and you're a two to 10 person shop, that thing has to deliver pretty quick on a return on investment. It's not like these, I mean, we've got. You don't have a war, you don't have a war chest basically that you can. We've got a lot of money. I don't know what the number is, but it's, it's pretty high of how much money we've invested in this, in this labor pool and this solution. And you know, that that's not what most firms can do. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we also have a model that an advisor can't partner with us, like full on come underneath our RA, but that's not what we really, that's not the mission we're really pushing. But some advisors get to that point where they're like, I'm out of this compliance game. I don't want to run my compliance. I don't want to run my legal. I just want to go find clients, take care of clients. And I said, okay, well, we got that model too. So, right. So talk, talk a little bit about, so, so, right. You talked about these, you know, I think when, when your first step with Goalpath and back when we met in 2015, 2016, we were in a study group. I think we were in Chicago. We're sitting at dinner. It's like the first time that, that you and I had met and you, you guys built basically collectives using DFA funds as kind of an underlying DFA had a really brilliant strategy back in the day called managed DC, right? And they were, they were trying to essentially deliver managed accounts to participants, but really more with, I would call it like an asset liability driven approach. The problem is I think they underestimated distribution one in terms of like, do we have the right advisor channel? We have amazing private wealth RIAs, but they don't do a whole lot in the 401k side. And the other, I don't think they anticipated how hard getting on record keeping platforms would be. And so in concept, Managed DC was actually a, a really amazing solution. And they pivoted after a few years uh, and realized that it was tough sledding and they they moved to their target retirement income funds, which, which was really about, I think, you know, protecting income at retirement, but you had built some collectives, uh, yeah. using their research. And, and I think as maybe a starting point and also maybe some of their, their kind of glide path research, some of their funds, but you really, you kind of built on top of some of the foundation they did. That was your first step, but you've gotten into managed accounts as well. And I think you mentioned TI Craft, but there's some cool stuff you're doing around there. And then this move into not just a managed account, but how do you kind of move that from accumulation to decumulation from an income perspective? So maybe talk a little bit about your thinking around that, some of the things that you guys have been doing, because I think it's really, really interesting. 
Yeah, and I do too. And I'm fascinated by the, the whole concept. And, 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 and we've been on this journey for now 11 years. And I do need to give some credit or, or all the credit really back to the, the founder at Dimensional, David Booth, because I was sitting in a, in a booth with David 11 years ago. And he was telling me about the work of Dr. Robert Merton. And I, I run around country and say that Dr. Merton's the father of income uh, in so many ways, the grandfather of income. I don't know if he would appreciate that, but I, but I, at least I, I say that. And, and he was talking about, David at the time was talking about that our industry's got it wrong, right? And, and I'm not saying any story that hasn't been prior said 20 times on your podcast, Josh, but, but it's the you know, Employee Retirement Income Security Act. It's not Wealth Accumulation Act. You know, so, right. so we need to be developing income. David and team recognize that. And where they check, where they, you know, and I think I, it's fair to say, because Managed DC didn't work from an execution standpoint, because I'll, I'll quote the, the Myron Scholes, which is a huge influencer of, of Dimensional, you know, an idea without execution is a hallucination. Because if you can't make it come to life, then it's going to die on the, you know, on the, on the draft table floor. And that's a little bit what happened with Managed DC because Dr. Merton was trying to create a, a DV plan, a custom DV plan for every single individual. And he had it right. I mean, there's no doubt about it, but it was before its time. And uh, so what we did is it was working in Europe, if you look at it, because they didn't have the, the 401k system. They still have a lot of state systems you know, overseas. We, we have a, a system that basically transferred all the liability to the individual. Right. So here we are. And, and there's a cool graph. And you guys, you've seen it where DB plans go like this and DC plans go like that. And all that means is the liability was transferred to the individual to figure it out. Well, when you did that, you removed the ability to make institutional decisions that influence income across masses of individuals. And you took away income from those individuals because the system wasn't built to drive income. The system was built to drive wealth, wealth accumulation. So they recognized that. They, they wanted to put everybody in this DB. Well, what it really was, what Managed DC was, was a managed account. It really needed to be a managed account because it needed to have that fiduciary in the middle to, in essence, hear what the participant needed, hear what the participant's journey was, and then say, I'm going to deliver a guaranteed paycheck for you. Okay, But we're going to agree on how it's going to work. But all we were doing is reinventing a, a, a guaranteed income product, but for the individual off the liability of the corporate books. So we, we started doing that. And, I mean, and through, a, through a mutual fund vehicle instead of. Yeah, a, that was that, that was the problem. You know, how are you going to do that in, in, in the system that existed in the United States? It was almost impossible. So what we did in the beginning, and you were talking about these collective funds, what we did in the beginning is they said, what if we put guardrails on it? Because because bluntly. Dr. Merton was trying to take a guy like you, Josh, that, you know, has had some success in, 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 in your career. You're well-funded when it comes to retirement. And he would say to you, well, just because you're in your 40s doesn't mean you shouldn't take your allocation all the way down to maybe 10% equity. You probably should. Why? Because your funded status is really high. Right. Josh, why do you continue to take risk when you've met your, object, your, your objective of your income needed to retire, you know, with dignity. That story does not work in the system that we built in the United States. Yeah. And so imagine coming into somebody going, a 45-year-old saying, hey, we, I've taken your asset allocation down to 10% equity. 
And, you know, 90% is in guaranteed solutions and products. Then individuals would be like, excuse me? My advisor told me I was supposed to be 80-20. Right. You know? And so that is the shift that's happening. And uh, our, our what our collectives did is they were three glide paths. So we put guardrails on it where we couldn't go all the way down to maybe 10% equity if somebody's funded status was really, really high. We could go down to maybe if they were 45, maybe, I don't know what the number is, maybe 40 or 50% yeah. at the bottom. But we also had a, a, a collectives that were, we built them in tranches. So a 2040 aggressive, 2040 moderate, 2040 conservative. It was kind of like with Prudential, you know, before they sold with their Goalmaker platform. Yeah. But doing it in a, in a CIT environment. Yeah. And we didn't do it kind of similar overlaying risk, you know, with those three glide paths over top of time horizon. Yeah. The piece that we still didn't get right in the collective because we can't, and this is why we're excited about managed accounts, there was no filter on the front end of a collective inside a retirement plan to determine funded status, okay? Because that's important. Yeah. You know, that's, that is that's yeah. the holy grail. If, how asset, how, if you don't know funded status, how can you choose the right asset allocation? Correct. So we did what we could. And we created triple glide path target, you know, target date funds that were yeah. built in CITs that were not exclusive with dimensional. We do have some dimensional backed uh, collectives. We have others that have all, you know, a best in class of of uh, mutual funds inside there and ETFs and all the things that mm-hmm. compile those. One's index based, one's enhanced index. We've had great success with those because they, I think, they speak to the community of plant sponsors and, and participants really well. But they still miss the point because they don't have a filter on the front end yeah. on. on status. So what the managed account is going to offer, and I can't wait for this. This is, you know, is this my last big thing, my big last big hurrah, you know, as I'm getting the gray hair and the gray beard, you know, I mean, I only got so many more days to keep influence in this industry, but, uh, or doing my best part of it. But I, but I think we're here. I think this next chapter is going to be massive and it's all going to be about getting the individual participant understanding and simply delivering income so that they can retire and know what they have for retirement and live off that money. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a compliment to social security, but, you know, somebody that's got 150,000 life savings, handing it to them at retirement and saying, now go figure it out. That is wrong. That's so wrong. I don't even know what to say. Say about, you know, somebody says, well, I'm going to, go on a vacation. I'm going to go buy a new home. I'm going to go buy an RV, whatever they're going to do with it. And they've depleted, they keep depleting that life's yeah. work. And now granted, the participant may come back and say, well, but that's my money. I should be able to do anything I want with it. And I said, well, it is, that is, you've got that hundred percent correct. But if you would have been building that entire time toward a monthly income that you were trying to figure out so that you didn't put your, your, your financial life in jeopardy and make it harder on yourself than you needed to, I, we'd all be a little bit better off. Right. And so I think the challenge today is that managed accounts are the way to bring in the data, right? That's how we bring in the data of the individual. That's how we can help determine funded status. But the problem with managed accounts today is they're too expensive. They're way too expensive. And managed accounts for the last 20 years have been a way to determine an asset allocation for somebody. Asset allocation is table stakes yeah. anymore. It's 10 my to 20. Of managed accounts historically is they've been, in my opinion, kind of like glorified target date funds 
Yeah. At a much higher, at a much higher cost. Yes. Yes. But if we can turn them into, but but I think that is starting to change. I, I think it is. And there's just like anything. And again, no reason to name names, but when you're in a managed account and you're paying 50 to 80 basis points for asset allocation, and that's, that's before fund expense. Excuse me? What, what, you know, just what, what for do you an investment, just for an investment solution. Just for an investment solution. So now, now we're going to be able to deliver with the, with the Secure Act passing and, and guaranteed products coming in. Now we got to figure out how to get managed accounts. Somebody said the other day, and it might have been even you, Josh, I don't remember who said this to me. They said that the pivotal, the pivotal cost of a managed account when it can overtake target date funds will be when we get the all-in cost of a managed account down to 25 basis points. Yeah. And I don't think that's too far off Yeah, because, you know, you've got a lot of target date funds in the 30s and 40s still today with for active solutions, for, for sure, that are great target date funds. Right. But if we can deliver that same cost structure and put the filter on front, put guaranteed income in there, now we've got something. And yeah. that's where our industry is headed. And I think if, you know, if I had to say, if somebody put me on stage and said, Marco, what's this industry going to look like in 10 years? I said, well, I think history is going to repeat itself. The target date fund solved a problem, put people on a, an automatic, you know, de-escalation towards, uh, towards their, you know, taking away equity over time, de-escalating their, their, their risk o- over time, made a ton of sense, gathers now 70, some 75% of flow is into target date funds. If we can do the same thing with a managed account solution and bring the cost down, I think you're going to see the same thing happen in the managed account world where you're going to see the majority of assets flowing through that filter and customizing and generating guaranteed income for the individual. So that's my, you know, that that's our mission that we're on a goal path and we're trying to help the industry and understand what tools, resources, partners that we can partner with and try to get that story into the hands of as many advisors as we can. Yeah. And, and it doesn't necessarily need to be kind of a binary either or. I mean, you may have that that, you know, more of this dynamic. And I know, you know, I think Empowers try to do some things around here as well. But but, you know, maybe it starts off for the first, you know, at, at to kind of go back to the managed D.C., right? You know, maybe you have for the first 20 years of somebody's career, 15 years, they're in a super low cost index fund, right? That that or, or CIT. And then maybe based on whether it's a funding status level or whether it's an age level or whatever that looks like at 40 or 45, maybe there's a, then a transition into more of a managed account, more yeah. of a dynamic. I wrote about it in the fiduciary formula, which I kind of described this dynamic that at some point you start in, in a target date fund and then you move into a, you know, yeah. a managed account at some point based on some thresholds or triggers that are set up. Yeah, you got it. And, right. and I think and I think that's where we're headed. And, you know, I think some companies that are doing some really good work in the space, there's a lot of companies doing a lot of good work. But I think iJoins got it figured out from a low cost. They're bringing a very more, low- iJoins more of like a middleware platform, right? In a lot of ways, are they more of a are they more of a tech platform that enables the ability to develop managed accounts and deploy them? Well, there's there's and, and it's not my story to tell. Right. They would tell their story better than I would. But but basically what they're doing is they're enabling record keepers to bring managed accounts to a participant at one basis point. Mm-hmm. That's a good start. Now, the record yeah. keeper is going to have a co- some cost of that. Maybe the advisor is going to have some cost of that yeah. to deliver that. But that's a really good start. 
one basis point to deliver the system, right? right. That intake system, that intake system where you're bringing in data from the individual, processing that data, and then you know developing a custom solution for that individual based on funded status. That's critical to keep right. that cost really low. Well, iJoins figured that out. Now, they've got some competitors that are a much higher cost than that. And they've got a system that's been built for 10, 15 years around that cost system. And that's what, you know, that's the innovation. That goes back to how we started this conversation. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the big guys are doing it the way they've been doing it for a long time, but I think they're going to get challenged in, yeah. in their delivery. Yeah. And then you've got this middleware industry that's popping up that is taking companies like Allianz that figured out a liquid portable annuity. That's a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Just put those two words in front of annuity and you're probably already one, liquid and portable. They've figured out these things. Now you got to get that middleware to take that data, smash it up, so the record keeper doesn't have to, to spend millions of dollars on how to figure out how to report it to the individual. So this middleware is doing that and they're working in concert with the insurance companies to do it. So. That's why I think it's a fascinating time. Yeah. You know, Secure Act wants everybody to have access to a, a guaranteed annuity. I think the American retirement system overall would be better for it if a lot of people were, were retiring with guaranteed income. But how to build the system at a low cost to deliver it, you know, that's our that's our current mission. And, and, and amongst other things, that's that's one thing we spend a lot of time thinking about at Goldpath. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And I think you guys are... I think you guys have built really, really cool stuff and, and very forward thinking and, and this idea of, you know, there's a, there's, and I, I might've said it in another podcast, but, um, and it's even kind of the, it, it's kind of my mantra. And, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, we've been good friends for a long time. You've, you've actually been a really good sounding board for me since I left kind of Greenspring earlier in 2021 and, and kind of walked with me along that. But, you know, I think we, we both have this kind of idea of like, you know, how do we support and help advisors succeed? Right. And I kind of the analogy, you know, going back. And I remember when I was a kid in the, in the eighties and Dan Marino from the dolphins, he had a, you know, a a sponsorship, if you will, with isotoner, the gloves, he would like buy the commercials. He'd like buy isotoners for like all his linemen. And he would say, dating ourselves, but keep going, right. Protect the hands that protect you. Right. And so in a lot of ways, you know, I think what you're trying to do with Goldpath, the things that I'm trying to do with Fiduciary Works is is really be, you know, how do we kind of help protect the hands that protect the American worker? And I think you guys are doing really, really cool, innovative stuff. So as we wrap up, you know, one of the things I like to ask guests is because the whole purpose of this podcast is to help make ERISA fiduciary smarter. What would be your best piece of advice for an ERISA fiduciary, whether that's a committee member or whether that's an advisor or whether that's, you know, people within the industry that play an important role and support the mission of fiduciaries, what would be your best piece of advice? Oh, gosh, you didn't prep me for this one, Josh. Through your curveball. Best piece of advice. Well, part of it is you got to be patient and also have an open mind. You know, I think the for everything that we just talked about for the last 20 minutes, this is going to challenge the thinking yeah. Uh, a lot of um, people that are kind of inside the world of ERISA, as you might want to say, and it's, it's going to challenge the way we've been speaking our consulting message and speaking our message to, to individuals for, for the since the advent of the 401k. And so be patient, be, be, be open minded, because, you know, let's be honest, the word annuity 
has not had a very good connotation in our industry for a long time. But that has nothing to do with the word annuity. That has everything to do with the, the way the annuities were distributed mm. to the end user, the, the individual. Yeah. Annuity is a great word. Guaranteed income is a wonderful thing. Mm. If we can get the cost down to it, then we've done the right thing. And if we can make it portable and liquid, even better. So that would be my biggest advice is be patient. Don't have to jump the, the next best thing, right? You know, because it's going to come in waves and it's going to get the iterations are going right. to develop. But you still have to be open minded. You can't just shoot it down because of maybe some past experiences or maybe what we believe to be the truth of the past, because this is the right road, in my opinion, to be on. But it's going to it's going to really challenge the thinking and the profitability and the revenue models for a lot of folks out there that you're going to get pushback, right? You're going to get a lot of people. Yeah, if you start to kill the golden goose, you're going to get people who are going to, you know, who are going to want to, who are going to want to push back. That's right. Yeah. I think think that's, I think that's good. uh, You know, I think that's, that's good advice. Well, this has been really enjoyable, Marco. Love always chatting with you. And and where can people stay or get connected with you, learn more about Goalpath and the things that you guys are doing there? What's the best way for people? To, and I'll put this all in the show notes. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, heck, they can they can call me, you know, as far as that goes, just call my direct line. I, you I still have a phone? Well, you know what? Our, our IT guy did get rid of our desk phones. It all goes to my cell phone. So okay. I must just get my cell phone, but I'm not going to get my cell phone. Okay. You know, they can call me 913-641-413 or 643-4135. But the reality is you can email me, marco at goldpasssolutions.com. You can go to goldpasssolutions.com and hit info at goldpasssolutions. I mean, get a hold of us. I mean, obviously, we're, we're starting to get our name out there. Yeah. We just need advisors to connect to us. And, and, and you know, we got the LinkedIn thing going and we got all that. We just hired a new marketing firm. We're trying to get our social presence out there better. But I open my calendar up to just anyone, anyone that wants to talk, any advisor that has has something they want to unpack with me. Kind of what we were talking about before we went on on, on live, uh, Josh, the same way you were doing. I'm trying to maybe be that. I'll never probably to, to the extent that the Fieldings and the Peters were to me 20 years ago when I was getting rolling and, and thinking about what I was doing. Those were big mentors to me. And I'd like to return the favor even, even on whatever capacity I can. So. Yeah. I've always had an open door policy. My, my, my scheduling link, I always say is available to you. Jump on my calendar. Let's talk. Yep. Great. And I'll put all that so people can you know, I appreciate find it. you on LinkedIn, find Goalpath. All that stuff will be in the, in the show notes. So I appreciate it. Well, my friend, this has been a blast. I hope you've had a good time. I think we covered a lot of ground and had some really interesting, interesting conversations and, and uh, love what you're doing and, and wish you continued success out in the marketplace. And I think you guys are absolutely on the right path. Well, appreciate you giving the opportunity to share it. I, uh, you know, you don't get to tell your story very often, really. I've always said, if you got an entrepreneur, if you, if you want them to get talking, just, just ask them about themselves. Right. Right. (laughs) And I think that's an interesting, actually. So, so we will wrap up in just a second, but you bring up something. I think that, that that's good. And I think this goes to the heart of the work that we do for people is that, you know, everybody has a story. Yeah. But the world we yeah. live in, most people don't want to hear other people's stories. And it's not, a, a you know, there's not a great mechanism for them to tell it. And, you know, I think you honor somebody when you 
let them tell their story. And I think that's the heart of even how we counsel individuals. Everybody has a story about their life, about their money. And that, you know, to the, to, in my opinion, the most elite advisors out there are the ones who can sit in front of somebody, give them a forum to tell their story and then help figure out a way to kind of connect the dots and bring kind of that story, all their, you know, all their, their baggage they bring, but all their hopes, kind of their dreams, bring that to life. And so, you know, I love the fact that you've kind of shared your story with, with the fiduciary you podcast audience. And I really, I appreciate that. I appreciate it, man. You're doing, you're doing great work out there. Keep, keep it going. You know, your, uh, your guests, I, 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 I don't think I stack up to a lot of the guests you've had on there, but, um, but you know, I appreciate giving the opportunity to tell our story for sure. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. All right. Have a good Thanksgiving. All right. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Marco Ungashik from Goldpath Solutions. If you'd like more information or to learn more, go to fiduciaryworks.com slash podcast. I've got some great resources there for you, including each episode along with show notes, articles, free tools, and online courses. Make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to help other people find the show, and I read each one. Until next time, thanks again for listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast. Podcast.